Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. We are really excited that you're here. We're kicking off our, our Christmas series. And as Brad told you, we're going to be taking a look at some stories maybe you and your family followed uh, through the news that were super impactful stories in this past year. But what we're going to see is embedded in these stories is a far greater story. It's really the, the story of Christmas. And as we focus today on this uh, tire rescue story, we're going to, we're going to look at that and and see just an amazing story of these 13 young men who really were, were trapped and for a period of time, it looked like no hope at all, and then their, their rescue. And I think it's going to give us a, wi- a window into Christmas that perhaps we haven't looked at uh, in a while. But let's just kind of start this way. When it comes to Christmas, we have a lot of different thoughts about Christmas. I- I'm sort of the Chevy Chase at my house, get super jacked up about Christmas. I love it. Um, love Christmas music, love everything, love everything about it. But I got to be honest, Richard, this year, I wasn't feeling it. Like Thanksgiving ended, we got home Sunday night, it was kind of late, we've been traveling. And so Monday morning, I'm in the office and I look on my calendar and we have our first Christmas party. It was a staff and a, a staff kids Christmas party that Amy and I host every year, which, which we love that. We love that party. But I was like, oh no, that's tonight. And I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't kind of ready to jump, jump into that. But so we're, we're there, we're hanging out with the kids for a couple hours, getting them gifts and and I sort of started feeling it, you know, the juices start flowing, I'm starting to kind of get there. Then Wednesday night, uh, my uh, men's group, we got together and had our Christmas party, and uh, I'm there, I'm there. This morning, I'm, I'm sitting there in a little room we have, uh, and we got, a, we got a Christmas tree up for our grandbaby, he has his own Christmas tree because he's, he's special, and um, Amy has uh, a little nativity, and it's, it's, it's kind of, everybody, in the, the nativity is, is rubber because he's, he's not quite two, and he... He breaks everything. So we're, we're playing this game with him last night, and she says, go, go get Mary. And so he runs and gets Mary and brings it in, like, yeah, go get baby Jesus. He runs and gets baby Jesus, brings it in, yeah. Uh, go get Joseph. He comes back, and he's got a donkey. He's like, no, sometimes dads act like donkeys. You've, you've probably heard that. That's where you're getting confused here. That's a metaphor. Uh, no, it's not. So we're just having a lot of fun. I, I get excited uh, about that. But for some of you, it's Christmas is... It's stressful, like the gifts and being everywhere you've got to be, and maybe your business, things get really busy here toward the end of the year, and some of you, it's just super expensive, and so you're kind of stressing about that. Some of you, it's a sad time of year uh, because you think about them, and this may be the first year without them or the second year without them, and when you gather with family and they're not there, it just brings a whole lot of emotions, and it's it's hard. It's the most difficult time maybe of your year. And today as we, we look at this story, here's what I want to say to you. Is as we look at Christmas, I think we're going to see inside this story that the, the real meaning and the message of Christmas, it's a story of rescue. And to me, that, that's really what Christmas is all about. It's about a rescue. And so today as we look at the Christmas story and we kind of compare some thoughts about this story in Thailand, you know, I'm going to ask you a question that we're going to flesh out for the next 30 minutes or so. Do you have caves of hopelessness in your life? I mean, here are these 13 boys, 12 boys in their, in their coach, and they're stuck in this cave and 
there's, there's no way for them to get out. The water is rising. But there's some areas of your life that it, it feels like that. It feels like a cave of hopelessness. Well, I, my, my prayer is today that as we look at this amazing story of God's rescue, that you leave here with some hope today, with some rays of hope that would bring some encouragement into your life and some victory into your life like maybe never before. So let, let's turn our attention to Scripture, Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 5. Now, if you're new to church, we're glad that you're here. If you're watching online and, and this is kind of the first year you've really begun to study the Bible around the holidays. And, and so we're studying Luke's gospel. So the gospels are the first four books in the New Testament. They tell the Jesus story from his birth, his life, his ministry, miracles, teaching, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. There are four stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all, all tell the same story, but they have a different perspective. Luke is a physician, so he's, he's very focused on, on details. And so he's going to focus a little bit on birth order, and he's going to show that Jesus is Messiah. And one of the ways right from the beginning that we know that Jesus is Messiah is, is he fulfills this messianic prophecy that before Messiah would come, there would be a forerunner to the Messiah. And so he's going to tell the story of this forerunner who is John uh, the baptizer. So that, that's where we pick up today. Starting in verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a, a priest named Zechariah. So setting is everything here. It says, in the time of Herod. Let's talk about Herod. And if you mark in your Bible uh, like I do, one of the words you might want to mark here is, is, is darkness. Because it was a dark time. Why? Because the, the, the person in power in and around Jerusalem where this story takes place was an absolute nut. He was the most insecure leader imaginable. And, and have any of you ever worked for an insecure leader? Yeah. Somebody in the first service yelled out really loud, and it was awkward because they're on staff. And that got like, got like crazy weird for a little bit. Uh, I'm just kidding. But when, when you work for an insecure leader or you're an insecure person, it's just tough because why? Everybody around them is a threat. And so everybody was a threat to Herod. In fact, we, we know that, that he executed nine of his family members because he saw them as a threat to his, his throne. And so you might say, well, what, what's the point? Herod created a very dark time in the nation of Israel. And so it's in, in that backdrop of a cave of hopelessness for the people that the story unfolds. So we're introduced to Zechariah. Who is Zechariah? Well, Zechariah is, is ultimately he's the uncle of, of, of Jesus who belonged to the priestly. He was a priest, the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So now we're introduced to another cave of hopelessness. Here's a woman and a man that have never been able to have children, and so if you've ever struggled with fertility issues, which, which so many people do, and have, I have met with couples for years, it's a hard place. It's a cave of hopelessness. But it's even different in this story, in the first century culture, because in the first century culture, even though Elizabeth was a righteous woman, nobody around her thought she was. Why? Because they would have seen her, uh, not, uh, her ability not to have, or her inability to have children as really a sign of, of a curse, that there was something in her life that wasn't right with God and, and God was punishing her, which is not the case, but that's what she would have had to, to deal with. 
Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, this is really cool. And you might have read this for years when you're reading the Christmas story and you might have skipped over it. But God's hand is all over this. This is a really important part in the way the story unfolds. So Zechariah is a priest. Uh, and so Zechariah's division, his tribe, is called to Jerusalem, and they are uh, offering up the prayers of, of incense. And so that the incense burning showed just this beautiful aroma before God. So they are praying together for the salvation of Israel. They're praying for Messiah to come. And they always cast lots to allow one of the priests. This has been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is like for a priest hitting the lottery. He gets to go into the altar of incense and pray and intercede on behalf, behalf of the whole nation of Israel. So this is a major deal. What I want you to see is God is orchestrating these events, right? Super cool. Let me just, let me just do something with you because this is the third service. I'm going to give you a little extra. You ready? You want a little something extra? You might say, well, um, what you got? Zechariah is interceding. He's praying for the Messiah and he's interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel. But what he's going to find out as he's there, Messiah is now coming. And one of the things that the Messiah is going to do when he comes, he's not only going to pay the penalty of the sin debt, but he's also, even at this moment, what is the Messiah doing? Think about it. He is interceding on behalf of us, his children. If you're a follower, you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for you. Is that cool? That's a pretty cool thing. And so that's what, uh, so Zechariah is, is, is doing that. Now, and God shows up. He, he speaks to him. It says in verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear, which I think is funny because he's praying for God to show up and send Messiah, and God does. And he's like, whoa, who are you? So a lot of times when we pray, we're really not expecting God to do a whole lot, are we? In fact, he's, he's startled by that. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is, is born. That's why uh, John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb when Mary enters uh, the home with, with Jesus in, inside of her. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. And verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now for us, we don't understand that, but for the Jews, they would have understood that. What would they have known? That when Messiah comes, somebody who's going to shake things up like Elijah, who was this great miracle worker in the Old Testament, shook up. We're going to know when Messiah is coming because there's going to be one like Elijah who is going to come uh, before the Messiah. Messiah gets here, and that's John. And what is he going to do? He's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Isn't If you study Scripture, that's what happens when, when John takes up his ministry. People are coming out to the wilderness to be baptized by him. He is turning people's attention to God. They're getting ready uh, for the work and the ministry of, of the Messiah. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, if you're writing your Bible, I'd encourage you to do this. This is super important. I would write the word doubt because Zechariah is, is doubting what the angel is saying. He's doubting that this can happen because he says, I'm, I'm so well advanced in years. I'm old and my wife is old. And I'm sure Elizabeth appreciated, appreciated that. 
And, and, and if, you, if you've studied a little bit of the scripture, inside of chapter 1, we also see the angel Gabriel go to Mary, and he tells Mary what's about to happen to her, that she is going to conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and have a child that will be Emmanuel, God with us, the long way to Messiah. And Mary asks a similar question. She says, how will this be? Because she knows she's never been with a man. Are you guys still with me? And, and, and then uh, the angel explains it to her that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And then watch what Mary does. Mary says, be it unto me according to your word. In other words, Mary says, I don't fully understand that, but I trust you. So Mary paints a picture of faith and trust in God. Mary believed God was who he says he was and would do what he said he would do. And Zechariah at this point kind of has some doubts about that. Now watch, this is so cool what I'm about to show you. This is what I love about preaching more than you guys love it. I love so much to study something and God to show me something and I can't wait to tell you. It's like Christmas morning for you to see it. You see that? That's what some of you are like, hurry up, open the present. We got lunch. So, so verse 18, Zechariah has some doubts. How can I be sure of this? I don't really believe you. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been, spent to see, I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Do you understand what Abraham, Gabriel is saying? I get so excited, I'm all over myself. Gabriel's saying, hey, I stand in the presence of God, the creator of the universe. Nothing is impossible with him. He created everything that you see. Your age is not a barrier to the power of my God. In fact, what Gabriel is saying is a really important lesson. Gabriel is saying, the reason you have doubt, Zechariah, is you've made your circumstance, which is your age, be bigger than God and his power. And that's the reason we all have doubt in our life. Truth, truth of the matter is every time you have doubt in your life, really it comes from, from you making your circumstances bigger than the power and sovereignty and might of our God. Do you see it? Now watch verse 20. This is wild. And now the angel says, you will be silent, talking to Zechariah, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. This is going to help somebody. Are you ready? It's going to help somebody. Zachariah's doubts did not stop the faithfulness of God and his promise for the nation of Israel and ultimately for Zachariah and Elizabeth. John the Baptist still came. Messiah still came. Your lack of faith, your faithlessness, my faithlessness does not stop the faithfulness of our God. Is that good news to you? That's good news. It's great news. Now, but here's something that you need to notice. The angel says to Zechariah, you're not going to be able to speak until this happens. Now, let's just do the math. How long would that be? Nine months. So for nine months, Zechariah has heard the most exciting thing that he has ever heard in his life, and he can't tell. That would kill me. Man, my family knows about me. I shouldn't even say this, but it's the fourth service. I've, I'm, it's, I'm free. I, I have a hard time keeping a secret. Man, when there's good news, I'm like, oh, boy. And my sister has five girls, and I think every time she was pregnant, she said, "I think, Brady, I think, I think I'm pregnant." Now, don't, don't, don't say anything to anybody yet. I just told a few, and she'd call back. Did you tell so and so? Yeah. Why did you do that? Because I can't keep a secret. You can't trust me. You can trust Jesus. You cannot trust me. So if you have good news and you don't want anybody to know, don't tell me. Tell Nick. He's better at it than I am. Can you imagine Zachariah? He's got this amazing news, and he can't tell anybody. So here's, the, uh, here's a point. His lack of faith, his doubts did not stop the promises of God, but it did keep him from enjoying them. I think that's where the church is today. I think it's where the church is today. 
Many of you, many of us in this room, we have put faith in the living Christ and are heirs to the promises of our salvation and our lack of faith will not stop the power and the faithfulness of our God. But we, when we have doubt, and part of doubt is walking in disobedience, we don't enjoy the blessings of these promises. Nine months later, look on ahead at, at verse 57. We'll pick up the story here. In verse 57, when the time came for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. So we fast forwarded nine months. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. In this day, you didn't have to send out birth announcements to your community because when you had a baby, everybody knew it. You say, well, how did they know it? Because they heard it. I mean, these villages, they live so close together. And you go to Israel Day and you see these, these ancient villages where, where Zechariah and Elizabeth would have lived. Their homes would have been all next to each other. And, and they didn't go to the hospital to have a baby. They had the baby right there, right? And everybody would have heard it, you know? So they're all around. This, they're, they're, they're hearing and they're a part of this. And, and they know this is a miracle. So they came to circumcise the baby on the eighth day, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. That just makes sense. That was the custom. That's what, what, what everyone did. But his mother spoke up and said, no. Elizabeth says, no, he is to be called John. God's going to do something with this child special. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. In other words, is this not Zechariah's child? We thought it'd just be little Zeke. I mean, that's just obvious. That's what we do. Why would you call him John? You don't have any relatives named John. Uh, this doesn't make, make sense, uh, Elizabeth. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Zachariah's over in the corner. He hasn't said anything in nine months, right? He's, it's wild. He's got, he's got something to, to say. And so he asked for a writing tablet. And to, everyone, to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Now watch what happens. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. There are multiple things here that, that you ought to see. But one of the things, it was his disobedience, his failure to trust God that, that brought about this discipline from the Lord, right? Now what's interesting is Zechariah isn't angry with God for the discipline that God brought about. He just, he starts, as soon as he can say something, he's praising God. But secondly, for you and me in our life, here's just a great takeaway from this text. Some of us, the reason we're not experiencing the rescue that God wants us to have, the reason that we're not enjoying the fullness of our salvation is there is just a clear area of disobedience in your life that you're walking out outside of the will of God. And if you want things to turn around, the scripture says immediately his mouth was open. So the moment that we repent and walk away in repentance and faith into this area of belief, then God begins to do a fresh work in us. Don't you see this in Zachariah's life? Now, where did I stop? Verse 64. 65, all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we go. And he prophesied. For nine months, he hasn't said a word, and now he's about to say something. You think it's going to be good? What is he going to say? We're going to look at multiple passages. Let's look at the first one here, verse 68. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and he has what? 
redeemed them. That means rescued them. It literally means to buy them back out of, out of, out of slavery. And so what, he, here's what he says after nine months of silence. He says, here's what I know about my God. He's a redeemer. He is a rescuer. If you have a cave of hopelessness, I know my God is a God who can rescue. So for the next 15 minutes, let's take our notes out. Up there in the balcony, you might be watching online this morning. Let's take a look at a couple things. If our God is a rescuer, and if ultimately the essence of Christmas is a story of rescue, what, what, what is a part of a rescue? I think every time you see a biblical rescue, you'll see these principles in play. In fact, if you want, an exper- you want to experience a rescue in multiple areas of your life, if you want to experience a rescue, here's what is going to be a part of your rescue. Number one, rescues take surrender. Every single time, rescues take surrender. On June 23rd, 13 boys, 12 boys in their coach, got on their bicycles, rode through the rice paddies of northern Thailand, made their way into this cave system. Rain begins to come down. It had been raining. The cave begins to fill up, and they find themselves ultimately trapped with no way out. They finally, these 13 boys made a decision, we can't go any further, we can't climb and get out on our own, we can't swim and get out on our own, we are done. Our only hope of rescue is staying put right here, we're done. In and of ourselves, we have no hope. One of the things I learned as I was doing some research on this story, I didn't know it when the story broke. When the rescue divers got there to bring these boys out, Before they dove, it was a three-hour swim against strong currents back with these 13 young men. They had to medicate them, ultimately knock them out. And they were literally lifeless as they take them out of this cave. Why? Dude, I go to the dentist, and if I'm having a cavity filled, I say, knock me out, right? Because we'll fight against our rescue, won't we? I mean, if you've never put on scuba gear, which I haven't, you put me in a dark cave and strong currents, I'm going to fight against my rescue. But you know what? In our life, that's what many of us may be doing today. We're in a cave of hopelessness, and we're fighting against our rescue. Surrender. If you want to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ today, it will start with surrender. It will start with waving the white flag. It is more than surrender, but it isn't the, fir- the first thing is surrender. You-, you can't do anything until you've done that is to give up and say, I don't have any hope. You know, I I grew up with this belief that God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard somebody say that? God helps those who help themselves. I sort of believe that. I was having breakfast with a guy just a couple weeks ago, and he was saying that, and we were talking about kind of just an area that he was stuck in his life. And he said, you know, here's, here's just what I keep going back to. He says, God helps those. That's what I know from the word. God helps those who help themselves. I said this. I said, I'm gonna buy breakfast now. Because I'm about to tell you something you're not going to like. So the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says the opposite of that. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. At some point, these boys had to stop running and sit down and say, our only hope is if somebody else from the outside comes in and liberates us. You want a rescue? It's going to start with you saying, I can't, but God, you can. The rescue of Christmas is for those who realize they are completely hemmed in. They're incapable of manufacturing or manipulating their own escape. 
And if you want to begin to experience a rescue, that's what it's going to take. Listen to what the Word of God says. James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humbling yourself means dropping your pride and saying, God, I can't, but you can. Psalms chapter 50, verse 15 says, call on me in the day of trouble. And what does the scripture say? And I will deliver you and you will in turn honor me. Listen to what Jesus says, John chapter 15. Look at, look at this. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you will abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Read it to me. Nothing. God doesn't help those who can help themselves. God helps those who surrender and realize apart from him, they have no hope. So what is your cave of hopelessness? Today for Zachariah and Elizabeth... In our scripture, it was infertility, wasn't it? It's a cave of hopelessness. And it got to the point where they'd given up on that dream because it was beyond the time that they could conceive physically because of their age. And God showed up and rescued. I read this quote this week, and, and I, I know some of you, infertility is the issue for you. It's, it's a devastating thing that you're going through, a devastating thing. Listen to what Daryl Bach says. It's a powerful statement. Sometimes we are deprived of something because, why? Because God has better things awaiting us down the road. And I know you look at that and think, yeah. When we wait patiently on the Lord, he often gives us more than we imagined possible. Zachariah and Elizabeth wanted a child. What they got was a prophet. God rescues us in our caves of hopelessness. Maybe for you today, your cave of hopelessness is just family dysfunction. It's your marriage, and you have tried everything, and it's not getting better. In fact, you've said, you know what, let's just make it through the holidays, and then we'll talk about what we need to do next. But have you ever tried this, waving the white flag? God, I am done manipulating and controlling, and we cannot fix this. It's yours. Some of you, it's a desire, listen, your cave of hopelessness is a desire that you cannot say no to, and it is owning you and has owned you for a long time. Where will your rescue, when will your rescue begin? How will your rescue begin? Your rescue will begin when you surrender and say, we're hemmed in, I'm not running I can't control this. I can't fight my way through this. God, I'm yours. Some of you is sorrow, depression, anxiety. Listen to me. Could you lean into this? Some of you here today, you're spiritually lost. You know it. You know you're not connected to the living God. You, you, you try to at times look like that and give the appearance of that, but you know there is a chasm between you and God. And it isn't that you haven't tried to scale that. In fact, that's why you're even here today. But it just keeps getting wider and wider. Today, your rescue begins when you quit. And start by saying, God, I surrender. Because rescues always take surrender. Number two, rescues take compassion. I'm blown away, 20 countries from around the world sent 
military personnel and expertise to northern Thailand for these 13 young men, over 1,000 volunteers, the first people that made it to these boys. It took 10 days for the first rescue workers to get there. Didn't know what they were going to find when they got there. But we have a chance through technology to see the first video that was shot from the first compassionate rescue workers that made their way to these boys. So let, let's take a look at the screen here for just a moment. Yeah, best you can. Thank you. Hello, thank you. How, how many of you? 13. Brilliant. We are coming. It's okay. It's okay. Many people are coming. Many, many people. We are the first. Many people come. What, what day? What Tomorrow. Day? No, no, no. What day is it? <laughs> Monday. Monday. It's pretty fascinating. What we just saw. First of all, how many of you have boys? Any of you have boys? Any of you raised boys? Yeah. I have two. If I would have been raising my boys in northern Thailand and they would have been on the wild boar soccer team, they'd have been in that cave because that's what boys do. But did you see the look on those boys' faces as they're huddled up in this little piece of ground that's outside the water, hopeless? Their only chance is somebody showing up to rescue. And did you hear what one of them said? What day is it? Because you know what darkness does? Blinds us to any kind of perspective. <laughs> Didn't even know what day it was. And that's what the enemy will do. I mean, a cave of hopelessness. We, we just lose all perspective. And then here's what I love. I mean, for these, these rescue workers coming from 20 different countries to be involved in this rescue, that took compassion, didn't it? I mean, this first guy showing up, and then do you hear what he said? He said, we are the first, but many more are coming. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Here's what I want you to see. Rescues take surrender if we're going to experience a rescue. But secondly, we have to understand that rescues always involve a measure of compassion. And this is what I want us to see from this story. Look back at verse 68. Here's what Zechariah says. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Christmas is about a rescue and rescue say there's one who's compassionate. God in his compassion and his mercy stepped into your situation. You and I were the one huddled up in that cave with the water coming up with no hope of getting out on our own. And God stepped into the situation and pursued us. Is that pretty cool? Rescues take compassion. Look on down at verse 76. We're going to go kind of quick here. And you, my God, and you, my child, Zechariah's talking about John now. He says, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare a way for him. You're going before Messiah, before Jesus. And what are you going to do? To give his people the knowledge of salvation, that they can be forgiven, that they can be liberated, the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Did you know that about our God? I grew up, it's hard for me to talk about this. I grew up knowing that Jesus loved me because I sang the song. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me for what? The Bible tells me so. But the second verse I wrote, but Jesus doesn't like me. No, Jesus doesn't like me. No, Jesus doesn't like me. 
because I keep telling myself so. I needed to be reminded of the tender mercy of my God that gave up everything in his pursuit of me to rescue me. I hope every single Christmas event you go to, every single Christmas song that comes on the radio uh, this holiday season, that when it first breaks, you will be reminded of the compassion and the tender mercy of our God who is a rescuer. Listen to how this verse ends. I love this. Verse 78, because of his tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. When does the sun break? The rising sun breaks after what? The darkness of night. Some of you are in the darkness of a cave of hopelessness, but Christmas is a reminder that the light has broken. Morning has come. So what do we see? Rescues take compassion. It takes the compassion of our God. But I love what the rescue worker says, but many more are coming. I think that's a picture of the church. I think, I think that should be us, that many more are coming. And do you know that there were Thai Navy SEALs, watch this, Thai Navy SEALs, but when they came in and found the boys, they didn't leave. They stayed right there with those boys until every one of them was rescued from that cave. They were the last ones to leave. They said, we're going to sit right here with you in this cave of hopelessness until you're liberated. Listen, I think that's what the church ought to be. That's why we talk about groups around here uh, until we're blue in the face that we want every one of you to be surrounded by a group of people for for one reason. One of of the reasons why is you're going to all experience a cave of hopelessness and sometime we just need the people of God to sit with us until rescue breaks. Do you see it? And that takes compassion. That's what God has called us to be. We say around here, who's far from God but close to me. Here's what I would wish this year at Christmas and this has got some bad looks and People haven't liked it all weekend long. I wish, well, let me say it this way. If this story happened in Eagleville, Tennessee, you'd have been there, wouldn't you? If you could have had anything to the search and rescue, you'd have been out there. Kim, you'd have made food, right? Richard, you'd have strapped on scuba gear. I mean, we, we'd have been there, and rightly so, rightly so. But Watch. We are surrounded by people in our lives that are in a much more perilous place. They're in a cave of hopelessness apart from Christ. And I think it is the compassion for us, those who know the risen Christ and know the way of salvation, to go to them. I hope we have a whole different perspective this Christmas. Let's look at the third thing. I need to go fast. I'm running out of time. Let's go ahead and throw this picture up here. How many of you recognize this guy? That's me. Um, How many of you know Simon Guana? I think I'm saying his name right. How many of you recognize this picture? A couple of you. Uh, He he was a um, 38-year-old retired Navy SEAL rescue diver. When this story broke, Simon came out of retirement and went to the cave and said, I'm going to use my gifts and talents and training to be a part of the rescue. This guy's job was to take air tanks in to the boys. He delivered the tanks. But on delivering the tanks, three hours in, on his way back, he ran out of oxygen himself was unconscious and died. I didn't know this when this story went down. I mean, we celebrated 13 young men making it out of a cave alive, which is a miracle. 
I don't remember anybody, and maybe they did, I don't remember too many people talking about this guy. Do you? You see, rescues always take a sacrifice. And isn't that the story of Christmas? That it's not a baby just born in a manger. It's a baby who would grow to a man who would give his life. He brought the air tank eternal life and gave his life so that you and I could be forgiven. I'm I'm quite sure that most people in our culture know more about St. Nick than they know of Jesus of Nazareth and his story, but his sacrifice gave us life. Rescues always take a measure of sacrifice. Let's look at the fourth and final thing this morning and then, then I'll be done. Rescues take surrender. They take compassion. They take sacrifice, and rescues take belief. This is where Zechariah had a problem. Zechariah asked the angel in verse 18, how can I be sure? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. What is Zechariah doing? He's, He's doubting. What does it mean to be a person of faith? It's to believe God is who he says he was and that he will do what he said he will do. And at this moment, this righteous, godly man is showing doubt. So I have a couple questions for you today as we close. If you're going to experience a rescue, a rescue is going to take belief. Doubt creeps in. We said it a moment ago. When circumstances are looked at first and God's looked at last, doubt is what is keeping you from either experiencing a rescue or enjoying your rescue. Let me say that to you again. Please let me say it to you again. I know it's time to go, but could you give me just a minute? Doubt is what is keeping you, first of all, from experiencing your rescue, not believing that Jesus is enough, not trusting him completely as your Savior. And then as a believer, doubt will be what will keep you from enjoying your rescue. Zechariah was mute for nine months. So here's the question today. Listen, listen. Here's the question. How much is doubt costing you this Christmas? How much is doubt costing you this Christmas? Is it costing you relationally? Is it costing you emotionally? Is it costing you physically? Because of an area that you're not trusting God completely? Can you listen to this? For some of you in this room, it may cost you eternally because you may never trust him. How much is doubt costing you? What would it look like as we close this morning? What would it look like in your life to apply belief to your cave of hopelessness? What would it look like for you to apply surrender to your cave of hopelessness. Are you ready for a rescue? Are you tired of this addiction? Are you tired of the dysfunction in your home? Are you tired of the anxiety and fear? Are you tired of feeling so disconnected to a God you know who is out there? What would it look like if you applied surrender and belief? to your cave of hopelessness. Look at verse 78 and 79 as we close. Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79. Let's look at it and then we'll be done today. 
again, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, a light has broken. The dark night is over. What is its purpose? To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's why the light broke. Can you look this way? Give me 30 seconds. Can you imagine for one moment that you had been in this cave for 10 days, not even knowing what day of the week it was, and then somebody beside you says, shh, did you hear that? And those boys begin to listen. I think somebody's coming. Shh. Do you see what I see? Their flashlights all burn out. But it's breaking the surface of the water. A glimmer of light breaks the surface. And that was the hope that they were waiting for. Can you imagine in your, can you go there for just a moment? Can you imagine in your mind what that would have felt like? Hope has come. The light has broken through. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Isn't that Christmas? Isn't that Christmas? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Father, thank you that the light of the gospel of hope penetrated a dark world 2,000 years ago as you stepped into our situation to rescue us because that was the only way we could be rescued. Your son, our savior, taking on our sin, liberating us from the penalty of it through his sacrificial death and then rising victoriously to give us hope. Father, today for those here, could the story of Christmas be that glimmer of hope that is shining into their life and showing them that you are a God who has always been about one thing, a rescue. And today, they would surrender and believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.